Welcome to this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the faculty ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here, you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. Good morning. I want to first of all thank your wonderful president for that beautiful introduction, especially the compliment from her son, Gandalf. My goodness, I'm in, I'm in high company. <laughs> it has been a joy to be here with you, and I want to thank all those involved in the worship service thus far. I especially want to thank the band Zacharias, <laughs> both, both Jack and Danny, for doing such a wonderful job. I think. I think that band needs to go on the road, don't you? Very good. In fact, well, let's, would you mind giving them both another hand for <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. My friends, <clears throat> we all are born into a world not our own choosing or making. I came to understand this through being raised in a home, in the home of Mary and Ivory Jennings. I was the last of their 11 children. My parents picked cotton in the U.S. South in the height of what was known as the Jim Crow era. They, like so many others, fled the hateful white supremacist South to the northern U.S. states during what was known as the Great Migration. When black folks headed toward what the historian Isabel Wilkerson called the warmth of other suns. That is, they headed toward the possibilities of better life and safer life. My parents with three children in tow, found themselves living in Grand Rapids, Michigan. There, after many siblings, and a decade or so later, I was born and raised. I was born, and maybe some of you had something similar, I was born in a home that was seriously Christian. A Christianity so thick and dense, that it permeated everything in my life. Every meal, every conversation, every activity, even the most unholy, unredeemed activities were still permeated with faith. It was inescapable. And it worked itself down into my bone and the dirt. It felt to me, growing up, that I had no choice but to be a Christian. Just like I had no choice to be a black man in this world. Race and faith came together in my body. I did not know it at the time, but I had entered the modern colonial dilemma. 
The colonial dilemma <clears throat> is living in the wounding legacies of modern colonialism and yet living in the living legacies of the formerly colonized who are seriously Christian. The colonial dilemma is not simply being inside a Christian world, but being inside a Christian world and a racial world at the same time and faced with the questions of what is escapable and what is inescapable. What should I accept and what should I reject? I'll let you in on a little secret. <clears throat> Actually, it's not a secret, so some people know this. To this moment, no theological school, no church, no denomination, and no organization has created a plan or formed a process, a process or come up with a protocol that helps us figure this out. We are only, my sisters and brothers, my dear friends, we are only at the beginning of reckoning with the intertwining of race and faith, of colonialism and Christianity, of colonial vision and theological vision. Some people want to escape it all. I have been in the academy all my adult life, poor me. And I continue to be around people who reject, renounce, and deny every imprint of Christian faith on their life and who every day show the imprint of Christian faith on their life. For so many of us, it's like a birthmark that cannot be hidden, but it can be hated. There are some, there is some hatred of faith that is born of Christian faith. And there are some people born inside Christian faith, born inside its practices, born inside its rituals and its discipline, inside its sensibilities, who loudly or quietly hate the faith. This is a difficult truth to face. Paul in this text is seemingly not facing this truth. The truth that people use the message of Jesus the Christ, weaponize it, and deploy it for horrific reasons to satisfy their greed and ambition, to enslave people, to increase suffering, to play games, games at the sight of people's life. To be honest, I never liked this text, especially given the history of being at the receiving end of this horrific deployment. We know, we know that the gospel message that many, dare I say, most colonial missionaries brought to indigenous and non-white peoples was aimed at controlling their bodies and their behaviors, especially the bodies and behaviors of women. 
We know that the kind of Christianity that many of us received was a Christianity heavy on surveillance. Are you really a Christian? Deeply suspicious of every non-European cultural practice and eager to find something, something deformed or demonic in our lives. And many people who are Christian carry forward that kind of Christianity to this very moment. This, it was this colonial Christianity that taught so many to look down on and distrust the ways and wisdom of their own people. It was this kind of faith born of colonialism that taught too many to see their people as backward and lacking. Did you know that we Christians helped to create the modern idea of cultural backwardness? We did that. These days, Madam President, I worry a lot about escape. Escape. We now have a generation or two or three of young people 20, 30, 40, who have purposely stayed away, purposely stayed away from Christianity and the church. They are interested in spirituality and doing good in the world and caring for people and the planet, but they don't want, they do not want the messy mixture of faith formed through the legacy of colonialism. They don't want the intertwining of race and faith, of colonial vision and theological vision. I understand this desire because I have the desire as well. But I cannot escape. Or more precisely, more precisely, he won't let me escape. Who? Who? This Jesus who Paul preached. You see, this Jesus who Paul preached allowed himself to be caught up inside the plans and machinations, the operations and schemes of empire and of the religious and political leaders. He did not agree with them, but he was subject to them, pulled by the chaotic winds of their ambitions. Those chaotic winds, those horrific plans and schemes got him assassinated. But here is the thing. He survived their false words, their plans, their schemes, their strategies. In fact, as I like to say, he overcame a successful assassination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He rose from the dead. Resurrection is not a slogan, my friends. It is not a slogan. It is a person 
who has shown himself to be God incarnate, God in the flesh. This same God, this Jesus of Nazareth, raised by the power of the Holy Spirit, appeared to Paul. Now here is the thing. Here is the thing. If you haven't caught anything yet, yet, hold on to this. Here's the thing. All those false words, all those plans and schemes and strategies that were aimed at his body were still there when he appeared to Paul. Still being spoken by people. But he overcame them. They could not thwart his life. They could not silence his voice. And they could not stop him, stop him from appearing again and again and again to people and saying to them, I have the power to overcome any words spoken about me, any schemes or plans aimed at controlling my life and my story and my message. I am the redeemer of this world, the lover of your life, and I will have the last word. <sighs> yeah. But I wish, I, I wish Jesus would silence the false words about him. I wish he would thwart all the plans and schemes that use his words, use his message to harm and imprison people and to justify evil in his name. But he will not do that. He has placed his body, put his life right in the middle of what we are all in, surrounded by false words and lies and schemes and strategies to control us and harm us and to imprison us. And right in the middle of all that, in the middle of all that, he speaks to us. His words cannot be overcome. His voice cannot be silenced. This is what I learned in the world, not of my own making, or choosing in my home, in my church, drenched in the Holy Spirit through those saints of God who Jesus appeared to again and again and again saying to them, I am the redeemer of the world, the lover of your life. Be my witness. This, this is the real struggle inside the legacy of colonial Christianity, inside the interweaving of colonial vision and theological vision, inside the mixture of race and faith. The real struggle, the real struggle is to hear the voice of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Amid all the cacophony of voices abusing his words and message and all the colonial echoes that still sound out through Christianity, because they really do, the real struggle is to listen to what the Spirit is saying. The people who raised me, <clears throat> raised me in the faith, would always tell me, what we say 
about this faith is on us. What you say about this faith is on you. I was born an accidental Christian, but I have become an intentional witness because I heard the voice of Jesus and I yet hear the voice calling me and calling us to the truth that he will have the last word. But for now, but for now, while others are using his words to do horrific things, while things are still messy and mixed, Jesus, the one who overcame death, is yet speaking. And for this, I rejoice. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel Podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.